What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Mind Over Macros podcast. As always, I am your host, Mike Milner. And today's episode, I'm going to talk about something that everyone needs to know that seems pretty obvious, but I've actually come to discover that it's quite confusing. And it's this concept of making it a lifestyle. How many times have you heard that or seen that or read that? You got to make it a lifestyle. It has to be a lifestyle. If you want your results to last, it has to be a lifestyle. I say it all the time. I am basically talking about myself here, but it's every, if you read any, any fitness nutrition advice on the interwebs on, on the line, <laughs> what's that from? There's a really funny movie with uh, Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson and they like, they get a job at Google and they're, they're doing their interview and he's like on, and he's like on the line. And the guy's like, you mean online? He's like, yeah, on the line. And I just, uh, I don't know if anybody else likes movie quotes like I do. And I can't remember the name, of the movie, but it is hilarious. And if you know what I'm talking about, you're probably laughing right now. And if you have no idea what you're talking about, hopefully you're laughing at me for being so ridiculous. Anyway, if you, if you read any fitness advice on the line, you will see that it needs to be a lifestyle. But the challenge that I have that I've come to discover is that we say that and it's everywhere, yet most of the application of that advice is so far from a lifestyle. It's, it's the equivalent of telling somebody like, you just need to jump higher while you are tying their feet to like hundred pound dumbbells. You're like, no, just, it, you just have to jump higher and you're continuously putting more weight on them and tying their, you know, feet to a, you know, cement blocks. And you're like, but it's actually really simple. Just jump higher. Just make it a lifestyle while every single program, I shouldn't say every single, while most programs out there are the furthest thing from a lifestyle. Like, here's the irony of all ironies. The reason why I thought about this topic was because I am friends on Facebook with an Optavia coach that lives in my area, local to me, and she posts all of this asinine stuff about nutrition and weight loss. And, and it's all driven to sell more Optavia bullshit. And her comment was, you have to make it a lifestyle. Like this has to be a lifestyle. And I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. The irony of all ironies is an Optavia coach talking about a lifestyle. I'm sorry, but 800 calories isn't a lifestyle. Telling people they can't work out because you're eating too little isn't a lifestyle. Buying processed foods and thinking that that needs to be the bulk of your diet is not a lifestyle. And that's just one program. That's not to mention that every other program out there will say the same thing. If you buy into a carnivore program, they're going to tell you this has to become a lifestyle. If you buy into a keto program, they're going to tell you this has to become a lifestyle. But just saying it doesn't mean anything. Like, do you see the issue here? We're missing the most important piece, which is can this actually be a lifestyle? What does that process look like? 
Words are great, but it is much more effective to have the execution or the understanding of how to apply it. What does that process look like? I could say anything. Like, it, it's just, you could take any concept and throw that phrase out there, right? Like, you should only be eating kale and broccoli. That's it. Don't eat anything else in your diet. Oh, that sounds really hard. Well, it is, but you just have to make it a lifestyle. I know that sounds challenging, but just make it a lifestyle. Like that doesn't make sense because in application, it's not a lifestyle. I was listening to another podcast with the podcast host was talking about his experience with keto. And he's like, everybody tells me how fabulous keto is. So I wanted to try it. And he was like, you know, two weeks I did keto and I actually felt pretty good. I lost some weight. I, I certainly felt less inflammation, less bloated, like, but I, I couldn't stick to it. Oh, you mean it was difficult to make it a lifestyle, but why do all of the keto advocates just say you have to make it a lifestyle? You, you have to actually give people the underlying principles to then be able to say, is this something that I can fit? within my lifestyle? Or is this something that I'm willing to, to change or sacrifice to make it a lifestyle? Like if we're using the extreme examples, and by the way, my extreme example of saying eat nothing but kale and broccoli is not that different from saying make Optavia a lifestyle. So then what you have to ask yourself is, am I willing to sacrifice all enjoyment, all delicious foods, my own food because I can only eat their processed crap? Am I willing to give up working out and lifting heavy? Am I willing to sacrifice all of those things for a quote-unquote lifestyle? And then it becomes a very easy answer. No, of course not. That's not a lifestyle that I want to live. So how do we actually make it a lifestyle? So let's, let's go over that. Before we break this down, I would love for you to, first and foremost, go and subscribe and follow the show wherever you listen. It is the, the single best way to help grow the audience, to, sh to get this shown to more people. Whatever platform you're on, subscribe to the show, follow the show, and share it. And also, if you can leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, that would be huge. Every single week, I pick a winner, somebody who left a five-star rating and review and you win a supplement, uh, that will be next episode that we pick a winner. So you have the week to leave your review and you get a chance to win. Now we average anywhere between like two to, to eight, I would say two to eight, sometimes 10 reviews per week. So you have a great chance of winning and you get a supplement of your choice from our sponsors, Cured or Organifi. So that's first and foremost. All right. Now let's actually break down this process. So if we understand the filter, the first filter is when you're assessing the program that you're doing, is this something that I want to be a part of my lifestyle forever? Now, I think a lot of people get confused with things like tracking macros. To me, tracking macros, that's, that's a means to an end. 
that's that's actually in certain cases I would say sure that can be a lifestyle but in most cases I would say that's a means to an end so if you understand like I'm using this tool to gain awareness around what I'm eating and macro combinations and how certain foods make me feel and I just want to use this as an awareness tool then that's totally fine but if you really think like this is something that I need to do and it becomes a controlling obsession, then it's not a lifestyle. In fact, it's, it's an added stressor. It's probably doing more harm than good. A lot of people message me and they say, I feel like I have to track macros and I really don't want to because it stresses me out and it becomes obsessive and controlling, but I have to do it. And I'm like, why do you have to do it? And they're like, I don't know. Everybody says you have to track macros if you want to get leaner. And I was like, that's could not be further from the truth. If anybody is saying that, then they really don't know how behavior change works. And you should find a different coach or find a different resource because that, you know, yes, it's great for awareness, but there are plenty of ways to be aware of what you're doing. And there are plenty of ways to make progress without having to track every morsel of food. I don't think that we have any clients who fully track every single meal, every single day, even our data-driven like type three, they love information. They love data. They love routine. They like to know what's coming. Even those planners, we will give them a free meal or like, Hey, just, just to use the cliche, make it more of a lifestyle. We want to help them practice non-tracking. So even for our trackers, we like to insert levels of non-tracking because I view it as a means to an end. When our clients graduate from the program, we want them to feel in total control, not like they're being controlled. Like I need to still obsess and stress about this and I need somebody to constantly be telling me what to do. Otherwise, I have no idea what to eat, which is typically what happens when you end a program that is not sustainable as a lifestyle. The reason why you struggle is because you've just been following somebody else's rules. You've been put, you've been placed in a box and it's like, oh, well, now I don't have these Optavia meals arriving at my door or I don't have this like, you know, keto plan, this keto meal plan delivered. Now what do I do? And you have no level of self-reliance and autonomy in that process. So it's a struggle because it was never a lifestyle. So anyway, let's, let's just start at the top. We have to understand what you want and why it matters. So you have to set not the destination, but you have to understand like what actually matters to you. What are your priorities? This has to be first. It has to be because too many times people sacrifice their highest values unnecessarily. And I always use this example of a client that, that we worked with. And when, when I had a call with her and she was deciding whether she should join the program, we talked about her highest values. And she was like, you know, I, my highest value is my family. And I was like, great, like, keep going with that. What, what is it about family time? She's like, you know, it's just the most important thing where we have, you know, I know we're, we're all busy and my husband's busy and my kids are all doing their activities. But like the fact that, you know, on weekends we can do stuff together and like dinners, we can have a meal together and we can just be a family without all of the other 
noise and distraction. Like that to me means everything. So her highest value was quality time with her family. And then when we were talking about her nutrition, she was doing a program that required her to drink a protein shake for dinner. And she was talking about the fact that her kids, every single time they would sit down for dinner, the, the time that she values the most, her kids were like, mom, like, why are you drinking your dinner? Why can't you eat with us? Why do you have to like, basically she was like, I felt like an outcast in my own family every single night. So she sacrificed her highest level value for somebody else's plan that made no sense for her life. So the first thing that we have to do is set not the destination, but we have to set your values. What do you want? What is important to you? What do you like your top level priorities? Because that is going to be the driver of the things that we're willing to sacrifice and the things that we're not. Family dinner time. Like, can you make quality meals that where, you know, Mel and I do this all the time. We don't eat the exact same things that her kids eat. So, but we still value family dinner, but we're not outcasts in our own house because we, it's pretty consistent. Like, I'll just give you the example from last night. Last night we had brisket, which Mel ate, I ate, and her son ate. And for the sides, we made um, potatoes, but we turned them into like air fryer French fries, which I ate and her son ate. And then we had veggies, which Mel and I ate and her son and her daughter, um, her other daughter was at a sleepover. So it was just two kids, but like, and then her youngest had ravioli because she's the pickiest eater, but we don't feel like it's all that different. We know that for the most part, there's going to be some overlap and then we're going to have some little random subtleties that are, are different but we value that time. We're not sacrificing that time. We're able to make it work and still feel like we have this, this shared family dinner time. So understanding your, your highest level priorities and values tells us what are we willing to sacrifice and what are we not willing to sacrifice? And that's going to always be the thing that we come back to when we say, is this actually a lifestyle for you? And then the next thing is obvious. Once you understand that, like you have your goal set, you understand what, what you, what's important to you, you understand your, your values and the hierarchy of your values. Well, now we have to actually create a plan. So the plan needs to be nutrition driven and movement driven and accountability driven. So because Anytime that you're trying to change something and actually create a lifestyle and you already have a, a lifestyle that you're living right now, that is really difficult to do. You've been doing something for your whole life or for a long ass time. And now we're adding parts, we're removing parts, we're adjusting parts. So let's just use the nutrition side. Like you, you have a something that you're doing on a consistent basis. Maybe it's really poor food quality. Maybe you have no awareness around what you're eating, or maybe you're diligently tracking every single morsel of food that you put in your mouth. And that is creating stress and obsession. And right. So like, there's something that you're doing now that we want to adjust or change. 
And I was listening to a podcast about, I was a psychologist that was on and she was talking about this process of change. And she used an example that I thought was like, just so incredibly powerful. She said, imagine if you had a, a child and, and on, I know a lot of you do. Imagine if your child was like pretty young, let's call it a five-year-old. Okay. You have a five-year-old and every single day at the same time, each day you give that child a treat. Let's just call it a piece of candy. Uh, we'll, we'll say Reese's peanut butter cup because that's the best candy there is. Don't try to argue there. There's really, it's, it's science backed. This is factual. This is not, this is not an opinion. Reese's peanut butter cups, best candy ever. Don't fight me. Don't at me. It's just the way it is. Accept it and move on. So every single time, every single day at the same time, you give this five-year-old, your child, a Reese's peanut butter cup. Child loves it. It's like best part of his or her day. Like this, this is amazing. Thank you for being such a great parent. Lights up every single morning. We'll just call it morning in this hypo, hypothetical situation. And this goes on for months and months and months. And what happens? The child starts to expect the same time. You've now conditioned this behavior where I'm sure like right when that time hits, you would expect the child to like hold his or her hand out and be like, where's my Reese's, right? As they should. It's the same thing. Like <laughs> Mel and I have this routine with our dogs. We have two dogs, our beautiful furry babies, Leia and Preston. Leia is a four-year-old pit. And Preston is a five-year-old pit feist mix. And they're the cutest dogs in the world. That's also fact. Don't try to argue with me on that either. So every single night we have this routine. When they go to the bathroom for the last time before bed, we call it last pee-pee. They, they verbally need to hear that it's last pee-pee. Otherwise, they don't know that it's time for bed. And they will... And I, I know you, you might think I'm crazy, but I'm telling you, we even tell our puppy sitters about last pee-pee time because no matter where they are in the house, if they hear last pee-pee time, they get up, they sprint to the door and they know it's time to go out for the last time. And then when they come inside, they know that they're getting treats. That's our treaty time. And we do a little song and sometimes I sing to them in Spanish and make a big production and they get their treats and we have a great time. And then they immediately go to bed. Like they don't, there's no confusion. This routine is set. They hear it's last pee pee time. They run to the door. They know that they go out, they do their business. They come back in, they wait patiently for their treats. They get their treaties and then they go up to bed. Now, if we did this whole routine and I was like, it's last pee pee times and they go run out, they get all excited. They go outside, they do their thing. They come in and they sit down all well-behaved, and there's no treat. They're going to be like, uh, dad, what the fuck? Same thing with the kid. Imagine one morning you wake up and you're like, hmm, I'm sorry, five-year-old. You're not getting this Reese's peanut butter cup today. Well, they don't, they don't know. They're like, the kid will be like, what did I do wrong? Why don't I get the treat? They, they probably will melt down. They'll probably start crying. And you've just up and decided to just change the routine. You just decided one day, you know what? I probably shouldn't give my five-year-old a Reese's peanut butter cup every morning. I'm going to stop doing it. Even if you tell them you're going to stop doing it, they're still going to be upset because they've been conditioned to expect that behavior. They've been conditioned 
just like my dogs have been conditioned to do their last pee-pee and to get a treat when they come in. And if I just decide, oh, sorry, no treat this time, they're not going to be happy and they shouldn't be happy. This is the same thing that happens when you are changing your nutrition, when you're changing your routine, when you're changing your habits, you are that child. You are that five-year-old. Your brain is going to say, what the fuck? Where is the normal routine? We've been doing this thing. Why isn't it the same? But here you are, you're like, no, because we're trying to be healthy. We're trying to make this a lifestyle. And your brain's like, no, we already have a lifestyle. We already have a routine. So you have to have something in place that triggers the new routine. So whether that's planning your meals ahead of time, that's putting your workouts in your calendar, that's having an accountability partner or a coach to check in with, to hold you accountable. Because when you turn into that ranting five-year-old, you're going to default. You're going to use probably some unproductive outlets and coping mechanisms. That is what your brain is trying to do to use to pull you back into the comfortable routine that you already have. But if you know, based off of step one, what you want to achieve and why it's important to you and your highest priorities, and you have a plan in place for dealing with this, that is how you overcome it. The same thing that you would do to to the five-year-old. How would you handle that? How would you communicate that to your five-year-old, your child? You'd be like, hey, I understand that you're upset. I know you were looking forward to that treat. I know you were looking forward to that Reese's peanut butter cup because it is the most delicious candy on in, in the world. And I'm not saying that you can't ever have it again. I'm just saying that we're not going to do this every single day anymore. It's going to be more of a special occasion. And I, I know it's going to be hard at first and I know it's going to be uncomfortable, but I know that you can do hard things because you've shown me in your five years already that you're resilient and that you can do hard things. And here's the thing. I want you to feel those feelings. It's okay. If you want to cry, it's okay to cry. If you want to throw a tirade, it's okay to throw a tirade. It's okay to be upset. It's okay to be disappointed. All of those feelings are valid. But we're going to get through this one day at a time. And then your new routine is going to be set in place. And you won't even remember how hard it was. You won't even remember how upset you are. You'll just have your new routine and we're going to get there together. Now, that same exact process, instead of communicating it to a five-year-old, communicate that to yourself. That's step two. Step three is we actually have to understand what your nutrition should consist of. So when you are trying to make healthier choices, what you should do is take inventory of the foods that you eat most of the time and the foods that you want to eat most of the time. So the first thing that I would do is I would look at how many times am I eating processed foods and sugary drinks and other ultra-processed items that are probably not the best bet? How frequently am I drinking alcohol? Am I eating fast food? Am I ordering out? Um, or, you know, ordering in or dining out. And then in my inventory at my house, how frequently am I grabbing 
boxes of processed or ultra processed crap. And I would, I would actually take inventory of that. Like I would put a percentage on it. I would truly take inventory. What am I eating most of the time? And what does that look like from a percentage basis? And then I would also look at how frequently am I eating vegetables, fruits, quality protein sources, healthy fats, things of that nature, whole quality foods. Okay. And I would also identify those quality food sources that I like that are my staples. This is a really easy way to make massive changes without ever having to track a single macronutrient. Identify those foods that you want to be eating most of the time that you know are good, like you actually enjoy them, preference, right? You actually think they taste good and they're good for you. So what vegetables do you enjoy? What fruits do you enjoy? What protein sources do you enjoy? What fat sources do you enjoy? What carb sources do you enjoy? So if you were to take inventory of what my most commonly consumed foods are, you would find eggs, chicken, grass-fed beef, salmon, steak, and turkey for protein. You would also find broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, green beans as the main vegetable sources. You would also find mango, apples, pears, kiwi, blackberries, raspberries, blueberries as the fruit sources. Fats, you would find avocado. You would find olive oil. You would find grass-fed butter. And then, of course, any of the fat that comes with the you know eggs and protein sources and things of that nature. Carb sources, you would find all of the fruits that I named, and you would also find some cassava flour, some cassava tortillas, some cassava chips. You might be thinking, what the hell is the deal with your cassava? It's because I recently was on an AIP protocol, and it is AIP friendly, and I had a pretty high carb number to hit. Uh, so cassava was my best friend during that time. You would also find potatoes, both white potatoes and sweet potatoes, and some jasmine rice. That's it. Almost, you could just take those items that I just named, and that would be probably 95% of my meals on a day-to-day basis. It's pretty much the same thing, just rotating those items. That's it. And then you could look at how frequently do I eat out once per week? How frequently do I drink alcohol? Not even once per week, probably once every other week. And I've cut back on that. So um, it might even be less than that at this point. How frequently am I eating processed things out of the cabinet? Very rarely, especially now with some gut health issues, almost never. So all you have to do is take inventory and then decide, okay, let's say that you're eating 50% processed alcohol, sugary drinks, things that you don't want to be eating most of the time. The gradual change here to make this a lifestyle is over time, I'm going to see if I can put that at an 80-20%, like 80%, all the quality foods that I've identified that I want to be part of my staples that I eat most of the time, and then 20% I'm going to have the processed, the sugary drinks, whatever your thing is, 
but you should actually identify the frequency. Like Mel and I try to do a date night once every other week. And it's one meal. It's not a cheat day. It's just one meal. But we, we want to enjoy it, you know, and, and it's not like it's a free for all. It's just, Hey, we're probably going to have a drink. We're probably going to eat some delicious food. We're not going to track it. We're not going to obsess about it. We're just going to enjoy it. So we actually understand the frequency of eating foods like that. Now, if there's like a random night that say the kids want to get ice cream, then we both make the decision for ourselves. Is this a time that I want to eat? Because we're not eating ice cream all the time. We're not eating processed foods all the time. Most of the time we're eating whole quality foods. So when the kids want to have ice cream, we just make the choice. Is this time? You know, for me, I have to be really selective because I know with my gut, it's going to be not just, uh, you know, I don't care. I honestly don't care about the calories. I don't care about, oh my God, this is going to make me fat. It's not going to make you fat unless you're over consuming these foods frequently. What I care about is how I'm going to feel and the fact that I'm going to find myself sitting on the toilet for hours and in pain. So that's, that's the give and take. But the bottom line is you actually, no, I can tell you that most people don't even take the time to assess and gain awareness around these things, but then they play this guessing game and join a stupid program then tells them that they can create. This is, this is more of a lifestyle. If you're taking something and you're gradually shifting it in favor of more quality and you're still able to incorporate those foods that you love in moderation, you still have that 20%, which is a lot. That's one out of five, right? One out of five? That's one out of five. So you still have the flexibility that you need to, to actually make it a lifestyle. So that's, that's step three. Step four is your exercise routine. You have to understand what that looks like from a dedicated, intentional training standpoint and from a movement standpoint. So once again, if we want to make this a lifestyle, I need to know realistically, consistently, what can you do from a training perspective every single week, even on your worst week? Now, does that mean that every, like, let's just say your, your number is three, which is mine. My number is three. If I work out three days a week, I win. That's, that is my standard. Three days per week, I win. Most of the time I work out four days per week. I do four days of strength training and I do one day of tennis, sometimes two days of tennis. That's it. There are plenty of weeks that I work out three days per week. There have been plenty of weeks where I didn't work out at all. The bottom line is, it is part of my lifestyle that three days per week is going to happen more often than not. Like 99% of weeks, I'm going to get at least three sessions in. We have to understand what that looks like. Now, if you're at zero, then you might want to start with one as part of your lifestyle integration. Just one, two days per week. And then we also have to look at things like walking or movement, if you like to cycle or swim or whatever, just dance, whatever, how you ever, however you like to move your body, that also has to be part of this plan. So is it going to be 30 minutes a day? Is it going to be a 10 minute walk every day? Is it going to be a step number? Uh, I keep it simple. I try to target 10,000 steps a day. 
Uh, right now, I think my phone told me for the month of February, I'm averaging 11,000 per day. But here's the thing. I'll tell you what that looks like. I'm pulling up my phone right now. I'll tell you what that looks like in application. Uh, Tuesday, February 14th, I'm going back. I had 5,600 steps. The next day I had 15,000 steps. The next day I had 11,000. The next day I had 7,500. The next day I had 8,400. The next day I had 10,000. And today I'm at 6,000, but I'm recording this in the afternoon. So I will easily get to 10. My average for the year, according to my phone, is 9,800 per day. My average for 2022 was 9,600 per day. And my average for February right now is 11,000 per day. So that's what I do for my, that is my lifestyle approach. So we're going to talk about how this relates to your body composition as well. But this is the process. That's step four, the process for creating an actual lifestyle. None of this bullshit, just label it a lifestyle. No, it's not a lifestyle if you just sign up for a keto program. It's not a lifestyle if you sign up for a paleo program or Whole30 or 75 Hard Optivia. Those are not fucking lifestyles. This is how you create one based off of what is sustainable for you as an individual. All right, the next thing that we have to look at is your sleep. Step number five is your sleep routine. Can you get seven to eight hours of sleep per night? Can you improve on your wind down routine? Can you create a wind down routine if you don't have one? Keep it simple. Keep it straight and to the point. If no, if the answer is no, you cannot do that, then what is the best that you can do? And that's it. Leave it at that. What is the best that you can do from a quality and quantity standpoint? That's step number five. Step number six is ways to manage stress. Mel and I were on a walk yesterday. She brought up a great point. She said, she said I really love the conversation that you had about how stress management can stress people out. Like telling people that stress is a problem stresses them out even more. Like, you know, you should, you should be eliminating stress and removing stress and all this stuff. And she's like, I really love that. She's like, I wish that the conversation was more about wins that you can stack up on a daily basis that help with stressors that are already just inherent. Like she's like, look, I, I have stress with being a, a mom. Like I'm, that's not going to go away. Nobody's going to tell me to get rid of my mom stress. It's just like, I'm going to tell them to fuck off and fair enough. Like that is valid. She's like, also work is really stressful right now. I'm busy. I have a lot on my plate. And like, it stresses me out when people are telling me that work stress can be adding to my, you know, struggle with, with weight loss. Like, I don't want to hear it. But if we reframed it and we looked at the wins that you get every day, like she's like, I still drink water daily. That's a win. I still eat quality foods. That's a win. I still can go for a walk. That's a win. She's like, I find it more productive to look at those wins than I do to, to stress about stress. And I think that that is exactly how we should be framing this. We should be looking at ways to charge our battery instead of obsessing about the stressors. In fact, stress resilience is one of the most important characteristics that you can build, period, for anything that you want to achieve in life. So the way that we build resilience to stress, it's not by removing stress. It's actually by charging our batteries more given 
the amount of stressors that we have. In other words, if I am lifting heavy, that is a stressor. It is a positive stressor if I recover appropriately, which means that I'm eating an adequate amount of calories, that I'm not starving myself, that I'm actually trying to get some sleep, that I'm you know, able to shift into rest and digest mode from time to time. Like Your ability to recover is what makes you resilient to that stress. That goes for, it's, it's all dose dependent. So if you are somebody who has a high stress lifestyle, that's okay. You just have to find the wins throughout the day and be intentional about those wins throughout the day that charge your battery. So that's step number six is, is finding those ways to manage stress, uh, whatever that looks like for you. Yoga, meditation, journaling, spending time outdoors, going for a walk, making sure that you're prioritizing sleep, talking to a friend, or supplementing. Like there's a reason why one of our partners, Cured, is like the leader of the stress management game because they understand this concept. Cured is not going to sit here and tell you to eliminate all stress from the, from your life. What they're going to say is, hey, you have some tools at your disposal that you can implement. You have things like CBD and functional mushrooms and adaptogens and things that physiologically make you more resilient to stress. So let's not try and reinvent the wheel here. Let's use the tools that we have. Let's try some broad spectrum CBD. Let's try some serenity gummies. Let's try some nightcaps, some Zen caps, right? They have the products to help you with your sleep routine, with managing stress. And we have the hookup for you to get 20% off. So if you are struggling with managing stress, or if you want to improve your resiliency to stress, go to curednutrition.com, try their broad spectrum CBD. If you struggle with anxiety, try their serenity gummies. If you need help with sleep, try their Zen caps. If you need help winding down before bed, Use code POPFAM, P-O-P-F-A-M, for 20% off. That's curednutrition.com, code POPFAM, P-O-P-F-A-M. Get 20% off. Use the tools that we have at our disposal to manage stress, to get better quality sleep, to wake up feeling rejuvenated. This is all part of the lifestyle process. That's step number six, managing your stress recharging your battery, finding those wins throughout the day. Instead of stressing about stress, let's just reframe and focus on the wins. Number seven is making water your primary drink of choice. And I know that sounds so basic and so strange, but literally to make it a lifestyle, make water the thing that you drink more than anything else. That transition should be a, a solid fundamental and foundational piece of the, of a healthy lifestyle. Just hydration. It's water. What's your beverage of choice? It's water. Once again, if you are accustomed to drinking a ton of soda or juice or coffee with all of the shit in it that has a bunch of calories, the transition to mostly water will be like the five-year-old who had the daily Reese's peanut butter cup. You, your brain's probably going to throw a temper tantrum. It's okay. Talk yourself through it just like you would talk the five-year-old through it and continue to try to make water your beverage of choice. And that goes for alcohol too. Like when Mel and I go out 
and I know I keep using us as an example, it's just because it's easy to pull from real life versus hypothetical. I think it's more powerful to to say like, this is what we do that works for us. That doesn't mean it's going to work for you, but it gives you a real life example to pull from. When we go out, we typically make sure that if we're going to have a drink, we're also filling up on water as well. And even it, it doesn't matter, like if it's one drink, we're still going to make sure we're drinking water. If we're having a night where we're getting a little bit drunk, we're going to have four or five drinks. We always make sure like, all right, we had that, finished that drink. We ordered another one. Let's get this glass of water down before the next one comes. That type of thing. Make sure that water becomes your drink of choice. And then the last thing, step number eight is you have to monitor your progress. You just do. Like with your head in the sand, you have no idea. I can tell you that when I stop tracking, and I'm not talking about tracking food intake. I'm not really talking about macros in particular. I'm talking about progress. I'm talking about how you feel. I'm talking about your training. I'm talking about your weight. I'm talking about progress pictures. Like just keeping tabs on how things are going will help you to reinforce the behaviors. If I go a while without weighing myself, I get in my own head. I I talk about I'll I'll call myself fat. I will my body dysmorphia will get the best of me. I really go into a dark place of just crazy thoughts. And then I step on the scale and I'm like, oh, it wasn't that bad. Or if it is bad, I'm like, okay, this is where we're at. I know what I need to do uh, to tighten things up. So make sure that you are tracking and monitoring progress. It's, it's not like, okay, the scale, yes. Progress pictures, I, I think, should be happening consistently as well, just to keep tabs, especially because you'll notice body comp changes that don't happen um, or like the scale can stay the same or go up a little bit and your body can improve. But also look at your biofeedback, how, how you're responding to things, energy levels, mood, your digestion, your sleep quality, your hunger, your cravings, things like that how you're feeling. And then also look at your training. Are you getting stronger? Are you lifting heavier? Are you pushing yourself in the gym? Are you staying consistent with that? Like keeping tabs on those things will hold you accountable. And I think it's more valuable to be accountable to somebody who's monitoring those things for you, but not everybody's in that position. But there has to be some level of of monitoring your progress to truly reinforce the behavior and the lifestyle change that you're making. And again, like this isn't just about weight loss. A healthy lifestyle is about your mind. It's about your body. It's about your emotions. It's about your relationships. But this applies across the board. You will see value in every other area of your life if you just follow those eight steps. They're simple, but they're not easy. But I'm so sick and tired of everything being called a lifestyle without the action steps of what that actually looks like in practice. How do you make it a lifestyle? So if you got to go through those steps again, right, understanding what you actually want, your goals, your priorities, your values, then you have a plan, start to plan for it. Because remember, that change is going to ignite the five-year-old. So we have to plan and talk ourselves through it. When the temper tantrum hits, 
And when our brain wants to default back to those old behaviors, then we have our nutritional inventory of, of what we're doing. We have our, our exercise and movement inventory. We have our sleep inventory. We have our stress inventory. We have our water inventory. And then we have our progress monitoring. That is how you go through this process. Because then when the next fad diet comes along and trust me, there will be a lot of them or all of these like shots that you hear about semeglutide and ozempic and monjar, whatever the fuck, all these quick fixes. Let's just inject ourselves and hope that the weight falls off. Then you can kind of go through this checklist and be like, that doesn't sound like a lifestyle. It's a really simple framework. It's a really simple lens to be like, nope, that doesn't pass the test. I'm going to go through this checklist. I am going to actually create a lifestyle that supports my goals and who I want to become. That is how you do it. Now, once that is in place, you want to know how easy fat loss is? Fat loss, if you do this, fat loss will happen as a result of doing this. But then let's just say you've got all this in place and you're like, you know what? I just really want to lose 10 pounds because I don't know, I'm, I'm getting married. I want to get leaner. I want to look good for the summer, whatever it is. It doesn't matter. If you want to look better, that's, that's your prerogative. Go for it. Do you know how simple it is when you have this in place? It is so freaking simple. You go from 80% on your nutrition to 90%. You go from 10,000 steps a day to 12,000 or 14,000. That's it. And then you take your alcohol, you reduce it a little bit. You take your meals out, you reduce it a little bit, and you're done. You think I'm lying? That's how we do this. That's how we do this with our clients. We build this foundation. We build the lifestyle. They improve already. They're already going to see progress just by doing this. Then the lifestyle starts to take hold and their brain creates this new pattern, this new neuronal connection that makes you default to these new behaviors and you're living life and you're enjoying it. You're like, this is great. I don't have to think about it. There's not a lot of stress here. And you're like, but I really want to lose 10 pounds. Great. Here are the tiny little adjustments we're going to make. And boom, happens every time. The only time that it doesn't work is if there is truly some underlying shit going on hormonally or gut health wise that we have to address with some testing, which fortunately we have the ability to do. So we just call in our functional person. We order some tests, we get some answers, and then we implement. So what happened to me? That's why I was on AIP. I got the answers. There was some underlying shit going on. Address it and then move on. And I'm right in line with all of these things. Like I'm not talking about anything that I'm not doing. I'm living proof and all of our clients are living proof. Proof. This is what we do. It is truly a lot easier than most people make it out to be. And I think the issue is oftentimes you're going to get in your own head about needing to be perfect. You're going to get in your own head about needing to change everything all at once. Nobody wants to make this a gradual process, but that's what it is. And it is a process. It is not a destination. It's a process and it's a forever one. So what's the rush? Let's just gradually make our way there. You slip up. 
great. There's no, there's no back on track because getting back on track assumes that you did something wrong or it, or it assumes that the track that you need to get on is perfection. The analogy that I like to give is if you were really busy one day and you weren't able to take a shower, you wouldn't be like, shit, I got to get back on track with showering. You just know that it's part of your life. So you would just shower. You wouldn't beat yourself up. You wouldn't be like, damn it. I screwed up everything because I missed one shower. You would just start showering again. And that would be it. That would be your back on track, but you wouldn't actually say back on track because this is just what you do now. And that's how we need to, that's what we need to create with a healthy lifestyle. It's just what we do. So you didn't screw anything up. It's not back on track, which implies that you have to be perfect. It's just doing the things that you know need to be done to help move you forward. I know I'm talking, it's, it's semantics. I get it. I just don't like that phrase. And I know that the people who use that phrase mean it and they're well intent, their intentions are solid. And I don't, I'm not anti that phrase across the board. I just want to clarify the reason why I think sometimes it, it packs this inherent context of the track means perfection and the track should never mean perfection. So it's okay if you made some poor decisions because, hey, let's be honest, you were used to getting the Reese's peanut butter cup every morning and now you're not, and that's hard to deal with. So let's give ourselves some grace and compassion and let's try and keep trying and keep trying and keep trying. And eventually it will become second nature. Hopefully this was helpful. And I would appreciate any feedback that you have for me. If you want to share the episode, if you want to share the podcast, if you want to DM me at coach underscore Mike underscore Milner, I'm open to all messages, comments, questions, whatever you got. I'm here for it. And I will talk to you guys very soon.